From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, July 16th. You're listening to the Macrocast. This is Tony Prado with Hamilton Place Strategies, Brennan Walsh and John Fagan with Markets Policy Partners. Um, Guys, it's like it's kind of an eventful week. You know, we have we have news on um, you know on the uh, infrastructure plan on reconciliation. A little bit clearer picture there. Uh, what's happening? We had Chairman Powell with Humphrey Hawkins testimony on the Hill in the House and Senate. Um, Janet Yellen doing a long interview um, and uh, lots of talk of inflation and what's happening in the markets. We had earnings, uh, so lots to talk about today. The news this morning that give us a you know painted a picture for us is um, the you know retail sales that the the uh, hi, uh, highly anticipated uh, retail sales report at eight thirty this morning. Brendan, what do the numbers tell us? So uh, last month, so May was down one point seven percent, and consensus was looking for June to be down 04 percent, and uh, it came in at a, a positive point six percent. So that was a definitely a very welcome uh, positive surprise. And a lot of the uncertainty was overestimations of how the consumer, you know, would continue spending, especially as stimulus uh, checks were running off, though they didn't run off. We, we, we got new stimulus checks this week with the child tax credit. <laughs> so it's, we're never ending federal stimulus, it seems. Uh, but those checks came out uh, after uh, this, this jobs, uh, this retail sales number came out. Uh, that's no small thing. I mean, that's like no, no. It's a big deal. Pretty, pretty yeah, I mean, people are getting three to say seven hundred dollars a month, and and it's not just a one time thing. It's it's going to be. How did they? How did they pass that? It was going to be below the radar. It, was it, that it, an act of Congress, it, it, or did they have leftover money? Yeah, for for people who may have may have missed this, which I don't blame anyone for missing it, because there hasn't been nearly enough attention to it, as you're alluding to, is. Um, you know, this is a three hundred uh, dollar per child uh, tax credit paid to you in cash for children up to age six, I think, and then after that, it's uh, two hundred and fifty. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sliding that's scale it. depending on age. But that's yeah. it. That's the scale, and uh, like, there's not. It doesn't decrease from there, right? It's three hundred dollars or two hundred fifty per child. Oh, I get you. Okay, and um, and so. Uh, uh, you know, so this is like a lot of money, a lot of you know, money directly to families in this country and i don't think it's gotten enough attention and it's 40 million families which is i don't know 120 150 million people <laughs> and there's broad eligibility so um so th- that's a lot of money that's going to be spent and you know again this is like so we had you know blow out retail sales number today before um <laughs> these checks yeah. are going out and i don't think it's, it's, a, it's a one-year program yeah, uh, but the expectation of all of us is this is going to become permanent. This is uh, essentially yeah. become a uh, you know somebody somebody referred to it as a uh, you know social security for children. Children, yep. And uh, and this is like you know an infusion into these uh, you know households with uh, with young children. And um, you know if the math is right, it's going to lift a lot of children out of poverty, which is a great thing. Um, and make lives easier for a lot of uh, families raising children. It's a great thing. You have to expect, though, I mean, as we talk about inflation, that um, 
you know, if you make more money available, you know, you're very likely to see prices rise on certain things. So that's not, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see how far that goes, but this is to me, one of the biggest programs, you know, to, that's going to impact people that's gotten the least attention of anything I've, I can ever, I can yeah. ever. Yeah. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there also is potentially more money coming in a reconciliation infrastructure bill for, for programs like this also. Right. Yeah. There's a, there, well, there's a lot in the, uh, in the, the, uh, what, what do we call in the, the, in the reconciliation bill with that pack? Uh, the, Family. The Jobs Act, or yeah, Build Back Better is the more the bipartisan one. What what do we call the uh, the, the reconciliation? I forget. I, guess <laughs> I don't know. They're both they're both party. American Jobs Plan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So reconcil well, so on uh, so a blowout number. It's uh, yeah, and, and it was very much on services. So people yeah. kept going out and you know going to restaurants uh, and gas stations were up, which is a, an indication you know people are traveling. So it, it is it is spending on things that you want. Actually, the, the number was also uh, weighed down by the lack of cars available. So the the, the new and used car component was was negative. Uh, so the number actually could have been a little higher. Um, and and actually, we we got uh, indications from Taiwan Semiconductor. They reported earnings this week, and they gave a message to the car company saying. We've we've fixed our 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 log jam, and uh, we expect to be able to be delivering a normal uh, amount of semiconductors to you going forward. So get ready to uh, start producing. All of this is really good news. What to take a step back? It's a little surprising when we think about the past few months and how the economy is recovering and where we are in the recovery. We haven't had a lot of data points that you can point to and say, bang, that is a strong data point mm-hmm. unambiguously aside from inflation. Right. Even the really good numbers. Yeah. Even the really good numbers have not hit the aspirational numbers. Right. There's, it, right. It, yeah. yeah. That's been the case. And, and that was the thing. The U S data hasn't been terrible. But it's been very disappointing from what we thought it would be back in, say, March. And even last, the last non-farm payrolls number, which was a great big yeah, yeah. encouraging number. And then you look, you know, your eye goes down the sheet and you look at the unemployment rate and it's, you know, up. Yeah. But there's always been, there's been obviously lots of distortions going on. But this is one of the few data points over the last few months that you can look at and say, this is, this is pretty clean. This is unambiguously strong, and yeah, it tells a really expecting it to be negative, and it was positive. So just, yeah. <laughs> just simply there is is a good sign. Says something about our powers of prognostication. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a lot more difficult uh, in the last one or six months to, to predict. But, this. Yeah, this this muddled aspect to U.S. economic growth, where it's kind of undershooting expectations, obviously not bad, but undershooting expectations, has come alongside a number of other factors that have clouded investors' economic outlook for the U.S. And that really is, you know, the legislative fortunes of the American Jobs Plan. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the show. But that, you know, the the big, huge six trillion, you know, largest numbers, it's whittled down pretty considerably from there. And there's a lot of questioning whether the Biden administration really gets even a an appreciable, you know, e- e- if they can even make it to a trillion yeah. Uh, but, but John, and, uh, that's a good point about the markets where it, kind of from a 
a 60,000, if someone that doesn't pay huge close attention to the markets or a policymaker, the, the S&P and the Dow Jones have done well. They've either been flat to up the last three months, but the churn underneath, we've had like six different rotations from growth to value to growth to value. It's been a lot more, uh, the, the, the uncertainty in the data has led to a lot of rotations in trading, which uh, for some, some active asset managers has been painful. <laughs> yeah. And the summer trading has really featured a reversal of a lot of those trends yeah. that we saw earlier in the year that were predicated upon the rosiest reflationary assumptions. Yeah. And so we just saw over sort of the June and into July period, tech stocks, for instance, beginning to outperform again, topping the performance of industrials and some of the other more economically linked uh, sectors in the S&P 500. We saw obviously the treasury yield curve, which is a traditional bellwether for growth expectations, flattening out pretty considerably over the last few months. 10-year treasury yields, longer-dated treasury yields sinking down. We're at like 133. <laughs> we were almost, you know, we were like knocking 1. on the door. 1.75, yeah. Yeah, it was a... But uh, more, more importantly, everyone was talking about how quickly it, we get to two, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. despite the fact that inflation is still making a lot of the headlines, financial markets have moved on to some extent, at least on the margin, to worrying about... Uh, overheating worries ebbing and being replaced by concerns about, you know, a, st a stalling or, or disappointing. And the, the unspoken thing behind a lot of this is the Delta variant. I agree. Yeah. Especially it, globally. It, Asia is really shutting down again. Um, and, and countries that really didn't have much of it, like Thailand and Vietnam are now seeing huge uh, spikes and they're not, even close to fully vaccinated at this point. The UK, the UK, the UK too, is yeah, way up. So it is very encouraging from the day that we see. If you're vaccinated, you could get it, but you're not going to the hospital. You probably won't even show signs. If you don't right. have it, you're going to die. <laughs> well, this, this is. Uh, we should just note that we are not doctors uh, <laughs> on, on the macrocast. <laughs> And I have so played one. Our, on yeah, I should take our, our, our medical yeah. predictions with a with a grain of salt. But I think it's true. Obviously, if you're uh, the, the, there's a, there are stark differences in um, the spread and uh, lethality of the Delta virus um, uh, um, um, uh, uh, between uh, vaccinated populations and unvaccinated populations. Uh, it is incredibly dispiriting. Uh, the the you know the, the anti-vax movement. Um, uh, continues here and elsewhere. Yeah, it's not uh, just an American thing. No, uh, no, in Russia, and then, but then you, and then you have the you know speaking of Asia, uh, you know a lot of countries in Asia that had done a remarkable job of keeping uh, COVID out of you know out of their countries now are essentially landlocked, right? They can't reopen. Uh, yeah. They can't open their borders. Australia, New Zealand, and makes it really difficult. Japan is in a diff difficult situation. So they, you know, they won the battle, but it seems like they're losing the war. Yeah. yeah. And that's, in the end, when we look back on, you know, we can criticize the, the guidance we were given with mask and no mask and wash your hand, but they, they knocked the ball out of the park with the vaccine. They did it under a year. And in the end, that was the only way this thing was going to stop. And that, 
really sets the stage here for uh, the sort of we've talked a lot about the macro cross currents that are buffeting uh, buffeting markets and, and markets have struggled. I mean, equities are still very upbeat, but markets have really struggled to find direction. And as Brendan alluded to, underneath the surface, the rotation among the the stocks and the themes, the shifting between the themes, it's there's a there's going to be a moment I think particularly in the fall, and we've talked about this, that is a clarifying kind of few months. No, you're right. Because combines back to school. Exactly. If if we're going to have a big variant problem, it's probably going to be seasonal. There's going to be a seasonal factor there, and it's going to be manifest by September, October, when the kids go back to school, when people get back into the offices. The fall, like September, October, and probably November, is a real test case for whether this is whether normalcy we can really leap up to that yeah. equilibrium that that you know the old normal of, no, you're uh, right uh, we've talked and, about it that that's when the fed those are the data points especially jobs data points that the fed needs to see in order to have confidence to start a taper program every parent in in america is expecting their kid to go back on september 1st if that doesn't happen it's going to be an economic disaster yeah and it's not it's not as though the fall is, is our last chance, right? Uh, but you know, it's, it's going to be a period where, you know, if we're going to need boosters, we're going to be getting them by the fall. And uh, it is that, that there's just so many, there are so many things happening. We'll also know whether the American jobs plan is on track or whether it's gotten bogged down on Capitol Hill by September, October. And so I think against that, there, there, there are lots of, uh, lots of, confluence of uh, of factors that should be clarifying around that time frame. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, we need that, you know, obviously we're going to see that information. Um, the, the, as you know, as you described it and as we, we intend to see, it seems like, um, you know, it seems like market participants are, are buying Chairman Powell's story, right? Um, you know, when if you look at five-year tips, there's they see, you know, they're pricing in inflation. If you look at the ten-year, ten-year saying it's not going to last long. And um, I mean, that's is that what we ought to be reading from this? That that, that they that they you know whatever all the talk is that they bought his you know his story. He got he got a lot of pressure this week on, in testimony, especially from Republicans uh, in the House and Senate on inflation and whether he's uh, overlooking. Uh, the significance of it and ought not to be doing something about it. But it doesn't seem like that level of concern is being shared by, uh, by uh, uh, investors. You're absolutely right, Tony. The markets, to take them at face value, and obviously, you know, summer markets, and there are always some technical issues you can point to, but particularly a big, deep liquid market like the treasury market, you, that's, that's one that you don't want to second guess necessarily. And uh, you certainly hesitate to second guess that. And the flattening of the yield curve, the lower 10-year rates down at 133, down from around 180, that's a 50 basis point drop, and 10-year tips down at like, you know, 230, something like that, 2.3%. That's not an eye-wateringly high number. It's relatively consistent with the Fed's mandate. And the 10-year, as you pointed out, Tony, is importantly lower than the five-year break even. If you look at Inflation swaps overseas in Europe, they're tracking the U.S. They've come down off the May highs. And it really does, if you look at traditional inflation hedges like gold, gold's down for the year and it's going nowhere. 
And the it's it's hard to see inflation fears in the market. When we saw those big numbers come out earlier in this week, the consumer price index and the producer price index dramatically outpaced the expectations. And the markets didn't fall out of bed. You didn't see a big cataclysm in the bond market. Took it in stride. Yeah. And uh, it's the, the markets aren't always right. <laughs> and Fed chairs aren't always right. But in this situation, they seem to be pretty much singing from the same hymn book when it comes to transitory inflation. Yeah. Well, let's take a break and come back. I want to talk a little bit more about um, uh, the, the political economy piece of this, both on um, you know, what we think is going to happen with, um, with uh, the, the legislation that is, uh, should be moving. It's going to, you know, we're going to, next week we are going to be talking about some things on the floor. And um, and talk a little bit about uh, about Chairman Powell. Uh, so when we get back, let's get into those topics. You're listening to the Macro Town. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by HPS, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com. All right, we're back on the macrocast. Um, so, guys, so you know, so Chairman Powell was up, you know, was up on the hill. A lot to go. I mean, I, you know, not, and we could just shorthand and say he was pressed on inflation. He repeated his uh, intention to see through um, uh, inflation, and uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, this he's going to be fighting this rhetorical fight for quite a while uh, until we start seeing hopefully uh, inflation top off, you know, level off and, and, uh, and return back to, you know, closer to his target range. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a, there's another game here that, uh, that Republicans are doing. It's yes, it's, you know, cause, you know, some of them I'm sure legitimately have some concerns about inflation, but they're us- really using this as a, a cudgel to explain why they think, you know, spending another four and a half trillion dollars is a bad idea, right? I mean, so it's not just that um, they think there's inflation; it's uh, and, that, and that the monetary you know, monetary policy is missing the mark. It's that, and therefore, we should not be uh, spending another few trillion dollars uh, on this. And so, in that backdrop, um, you know, we are we have still seen progress uh, on uh, on the two bills uh, the the uh, the hard infrastructure bill uh, the bipartisan bill the bipartisan infrastructure framework um, is going to be legislation it looks like and um, and so we're going to see movement on that and then we're going to see movement on uh, eventually on the reconciliation bill which was announced um, uh, earlier in the week still need a lot more detail on it, but at around three and a half uh, trillion dollars as well. You add them up, you get to over, you know, four and a half trillion dollars. But you know, I heard somebody critical of it yesterday and talking about what a share of GDP that is, which is the wrong way to think about it because that money is spent over, it's going to be spent over seven or eight years. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's, you need and that's it. That's the best case scenario. It might be over 20 years. <laughs> you know, what, what is that for? Yeah, it's a share of $100 trillion, not, uh, yeah. not, not $20 trillion. So um, anyway, that's where we are. We have something real. 
and um, and uh, we're going to be counting, you know, vote by vote on this now. Yeah, it's obviously Senate Majority Leader Schumer is going to try to force the trying to force the bipartisan bill uh, on a relatively expedited timetable here. At least he's going to try. And that will give them presumably the ability to pivot if they can't get the votes that they think they that they need to get to get it across the line in a bipartisan fashion. It'll give them the time and ability to pivot to a one bill solution and round some of that physical infrastructure into the uh, into the reconciliation bill. It's it's not easy. It's not clear. um, But the. That is. Our, our base case has been, you know, whether you go bipartisan or or the uh, and, and with the reconciliation or you end up with a single bill solution. At the end of the day, the Biden administration got to have this. They got to have it. They, they absolutely it's not a question of whether there's going to be additional spending where, you know, we, there still could be uh, adjustments on the number. But there's there's going to be a, a significant yeah uh, uh investment in infrastructure hard and soft infrastructure yeah and one of the things that we keep talking about with our clients is once you get through this legislative aspect for something like infrastructure as you as you said tony this and and you mentioned this too brendan this is something that that wall street needs to have drummed uh, again and again into this narrative which is this is not the 1.9 trillion stimulus that hits the, you know, straight into the veins of the U.S. economy. Execution is key on this one. And execution and being able to identify the speed with which this money can be translated into real economic activity yeah. and projects on the ground. That is where the, you know, the, the rubber meets the road. <laughs> Literally, yeah. About that, uh, <laughs> yeah. The infrastructure joke there. But uh, it's... That is going to be a that is going to be as hard, if not harder, than the legislative fight, because yeah, we just don't do infrastructure particularly well in this country. No, but we don't. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, there's sort of like the regular stuff that we've had on, you know, on track. Uh, I mean, there is annual infrastructure spending. There are like there actually is a lot of infrastructure spending on you know year by year. A lot of it is necessary maintenance. We just remember every time you go out and build new stuff. Um, you're also building a new long-term liability for, for the country to go maintain it. And, and maintaining isn't sexy. Um, you know, put it right. on, yeah. it's, uh, it's the thing that yeah. irritates you because that means like the roads closed for them to do resurfacing, right? And like that resurfacing is really necessary. It has not increased the productivity of the roadway very much, you know, a ton, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, that, that extra layer of blacktop or the improved layer of blacktop on it hasn't made you go faster on it next week. And so, uh, but it's necessary and it has to be done. So you, you know, so I was always reminding people, these are, you know, you're adding obligate long-term spending obligations when we do them, but we all love them. We love our roads and we want more of them and bridges and tunnels and a lot of repair for safety and uh, and for some productivity enhancement needs to happen. And it's going to, and we shouldn't minimize, by the way, the $1.2 trillion hard infrastructure package uh, sounds puny uh, because we've been you know, <laughs> tossing around. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger numbers. Billion dollar bills uh, for the past, uh, for the past 18 months. 
Uh, it's the biggest infrastructure bill ever in the history of the country. So this is this is significant. We, we've been trying for years to get, uh, you know, this aspirational one trillion dollar infrastructure bill. You know, all the guys out there saying what we really need is a trillion dollars of infrastructure. We're going to get more than a trillion dollars of uh, of infrastructure with a lot of fresh new spending on it. So that's good. And then this other uh, spending that comes in um, the um, uh, in the uh, reconciliation reconciliation package, which you can love it or hate it, but it's it's pretty significant. It's going to have some pretty strong, uh, uh, not just uh, spending, but structural changes right. are built in there that I think are really important. One of the things, just to go back to something you said earlier, Tony, the GOP's argument against it and focusing on the inflation aspect, I think it's very there. There are a lot of very interesting threads on that. One is it shows just how much Washington has moved on from sort of the debt panic, right? Yeah. I mean, let's that that is not to say that debts don't matter, uh, and but you know the the old like Tea Party that was the the whole issue was you know, we're mortgaging the future of the country. We're just, we're spending money on debt. They're focused now on the consequences of, of debt. And I think that really shows just how you know, the credibility of both parties, uh, you know, the credibility of the GOP on fiscal rectitude, that that ship is, is sailed and, uh, and it's focusing on something, something different. It's, it's not as though nobody is paying attention to the deficit and debt in Washington, D.C., but the, it shows just how much the debate's moved on. That they yeah, it's a, it's a, we're in a weird time with it, John. Um, I was asked about this earlier this week about, you know, how the debt ceiling, for example, is going to play out, and, you know, because we have to, the, the debt ceiling technically runs out on July 31st, so two weeks from, from now. Um, Something that Wall Street is not paying attention to. They're not. And, you know, Janet Yellen has tried to, you know, send warnings that we that she may run, you know, the, the, the uh, extraordinary measures may exhaust themselves in, in August. I don't believe that's true. I would be off. She better be like, she should be, you know, sending brass bands down the street if that's <laughs> an offhand comment in a, um, uh, in a uh, interview, uh, or you know, like we, like we we got to know if it's mid August because Congress is out of session, so uh, that's not an ideal time to deal with it. And we know they're not going to deal with it in the next two weeks. So, uh, but so it's more likely September uh, later they'll be able to you know stretch this out a little bit. And um, but we are going to have to have a vote on this. And I you know and the question was well like you know people you know. Uh, Republicans hate this vote on raising or suspending the debt ceiling. It's going to be a hard vote for Democrats also. And, you know, I just went and started looking around to see, you know, what the history is of members who have lost election because they voted on the debt ceiling. And I I don't see any evidence at all that (laughs) they lost election because they voted to elevate or suspend the debt ceiling. I just, I don't, I just don't think it's true. It's just like, I think it's one of those Washington myths out there that everybody yeah. uh, out there, you know, tries to work. Well, maybe if it can be the opposite. If you were the guy that blocked us <laughs> being able to pay I, our I bills. Bet the net is, is it's, it's no worse than zero, right? Exactly. Negative, yeah. Right. Uh, you may be more likely to get elected for voting. Uh, if you voted for one, than you did it. than if you yeah. did it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I see no evidence that it's a, that it's a reason why any member uh, of Congress has lost a seat. And yet there's all Even people that generally hate big government. When big government shuts down, you kind of get annoyed that it's shut down. <laughs> sure. 
And, you know, a lot of these guys have already voted for to raise the right. debt ceiling yeah, exactly. multiple yeah. times when Trump was president. We didn't have any problem for four years. Yeah. yeah. But it is one of those things that is going to feed into this broader theme. And we know that the, uh, the, the, the political rhetoric between now and 2022 is going to be about, um, you know, inflation and Democrats and Biden spending. And so, the, you know, the debt ceiling is one of those things that, uh, you know, if you want to stay on one side of that debate line, Instead, the other side of the debate line, I, I get it. Uh, but I still think that, you know, I still think the debt ceiling is going to get it's going to get done because it has to get done. It'll be attached to some uh, must pass piece of legislation. Uh, but okay. it's, it's not obvious that it'll be. It's not a slam dunk that it will be the um, reconciliation bill, though it could be the reconciliation. I get you. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to so that's going to get done. And uh, and, and you know, we're going to have we're, we're going to look in closer on, you know, vote counting on the movement on these things and composition as we go forward. I do think that one, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, there, there were, there's been a lot of speculation that Mitch McConnell would play Lucy in the football with the infrastructure bill and let these guys go out there and negotiate it and then kill it at the last minute and force the Democrats to put it all into the reconciliation bill. I don't think he's going to do that. And I, and uh, you know, I think we would have, we would have seen signals from him uh, that, uh, that he intends to do that. I think that they're actually going to have a, give his guys a different message, which is, you know, see when you work with us, you know, you work with Republicans, you can get a really good bill on things that you like. um, And uh, it's paid for, and uh, and it's going to uh, improve things. And this is what we've wanted all along. And we were able to do this. And then and we and we forced the Democrats to put all of that profligate spending, all that social spending in this other bill that they that they uh, yeah. passed on a party line vote. And, you know, so it's probably, uh, you know, this is like uh, uh, medicine that the Democrats are going to have to take in order to get this thing done, because I actually think if you put the if you put everything into one big bill, um, boy, that's a big roll of the dice and, uh, and makes it really, really hard, you know, like, you know, cause you know, now, you know, that you have, uh, you only have 50 votes. You're never going to get, you know, yeah. Republican votes. So you better hold, um, uh, tester cinema and, uh, and mansion. And they just, just gives them a lot of, uh, a lot of power. But you know that's uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But I still think we're looking at two 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 bills. And, uh, and I'm with you that because everything in the end is about the the midterm election. And as a Republican, I would much rather run on that narrative than oh, we just didn't really do anything for two years. You know. Yeah, I think they get to take away the part. You know that they're the party. Yeah. Of, oh, and they just blocked things. They just blocked things. We just you know we were we because. We, you know, forced it and our guys were leaders. We were able to get this really good infrastructure bill that, you know, with all these Republican, you know, they'll say, right, all these Republican ideas in it and uh, all hard infrastructure, all the good things we really like, you know, uh, and we, you know, and but we, we had no part on the, that Democrat thing over there. That right. but, but also, if you once you pass the bipartisan bill, the Democrats have to pass the big reconciliation bill because then you're running on well we passed the republican bill and we didn't really do any stuff that you guys wanted us to do yep 
Yeah. So I think that's where we are. You know, we'll yeah, see. I think it makes sense. Yeah. Again, well, there's a lot to battle in there. We, you know, we didn't even talk. We're only talking about the spending side. There are tax issues. <laughs> we can there. talk They're about good. next week. About we into, yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get into those next week. Let's um, let's come back and um, uh, you know earnings kicked off this week. Let's come back and take a few minutes on uh, take a look at earnings and see what uh, what signals we get from there. You're listening to the Macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible, and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at Markets Policy. And we're back on the Macrocast. Uh, Brenda, it was like fun to get earnings uh, again this week. So, earnings season is always fun you know, because uh, we're dealing with real things. Yep. Yeah. And it, it, earnings season always kicks off with the big banks, which I really like too because you, 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 you see how each individual bank is doing uh, against each other, but also you get a lot of uh, macro insights from it. For sure. And the banks are doing quite well, which should be expected. The stock reaction hasn't been as great. But when you take a step back, the, the, the banks had a massive rally in the last uh, you know, whatever, six months. So a lot of it was priced in. Also, a lot of the beats have been due to higher than expected reserve releases from last year where they the regulators and them themselves built up huge war chests uh, in in, uh, the assumption that obviously a pandemic would create a large amount of credit losses. The banks were were very heavily capitalized, and we also spent a lot of money on the federal side to counteract the effects of the pandemic, and the losses just weren't there. Well, also, the the housing market massively went up, so... um, it, you, people built a lot of equity in their, their houses also. So the banks are in strong earnings situation, but more importantly, in very strong capital and safety and soundness situation. No question about that. I mean, I thought it was interesting to see, you know, uh, uh, Chairman Powell pressed on safety and soundness of the banks yesterday by uh, by Senator Warren, uh, but because I don't think there's ever been in history a time when the banks have been stronger. Yeah. I mean, like, congratulations. That's Frank work. Like take a little victory lap. Don't like criticize it. (laughs) And and it really should, you know, uh, you know what all the banks did and this plays into earnings also, you know, one of the things the banks did was they set aside massive amounts of reserves uh, to to reserve against expected losses, which didn't come. So taking those reserves, they were still profitable last year, less so, but it wasn't like they had massive bulls in their, in their earnings. Not at all. And, um, and so at a time when you could have, you know, taken the opportunity to commend the banks for, you know, doing the right thing and, and uh, coming through the crisis in a good way and taking credit for, take credit for it. Yeah. Take credit for it. If you want, I don't care. Uh, instead there was like another attack on the banks and just like, it was just, it, it was, uh, it was really absurd. Well, um, this the the counter the counterpoint, which was a, a, an avid listener to the macro cast pointed out in another uh, session when we were talking about this. Uh, go go nameless, but uh, this uh, <laughs> this avid listener said the reason the reason that the banks are in such good shape is because regulators stayed tough on them, and this is to you know to go easy, to go soft on them now, to say, you know, hang up a mission accomplished banner is the wrong way to go. And this is, this tough line ensures that the banks will stay as healthy as they are now 
into the future. Yeah, but I would just say, though, but like the Senator Warren's argument was that regulators weakened right. oversight of the banks over the past four years. Right? Oh, this was like, right. Yeah, the, the quarrels. Yes, they've got a big quarrel with quarrels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so, so you had four years of moderate pullback of it wasn't even more. It, I, I, was I, think it, I think it was, I think, to me it was a, look, the critics will all have always yeah. seen, okay, anything you do that if it's a if it's a Republican or a Republican administration that's doing it. You know, and you're a reform anything you do, those critics will call it loosening, weakening, yeah. uh, you know, letting the uh, uh, you know, letting the uh, uh, the banks run wild. Right. It, you can never just reform it. And I think what really, you know, Randy Quarles did and you know these were, were these were sound reforms, and um, and they were within the discretion of Dodd Frank. Yeah. Uh, and so, I would have expected the Trump administration to do a lot more deregulation in their four years than they did. Really, they they kind of left Quarles alone and didn't put a lot of pressure on him. And I feel like he just did the normal job, irrelevant of who was president. Yeah. And, and I think at the end of the day, like, it, 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 um, you know, they, they were then tested in crisis and yes. uh, significant economic downturn and market volatility and came through it well. So like, that's a that's a good thing, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, we, when when government it does something and it turns out well, it would be really nice if people would get together. Yeah. That was a good like I don't have a problem. Yeah, you know, I'm a what once was a Republican. I'm. <laughs> right like and i don't have a problem saying like looking at some of the you know some of the spending where biden programs and say like well that's a really good thing i'm glad they did it right. it's great the child the child tax credit i think is amazing actually it's a really good thing to do not a traditional republican view but i think it's like you know these some of these things are are, are you know good things to do and they have a, a good impact and should be open-minded about them and uh and you know i think it would do i actually think it would do elizabeth warren credit um, if she weren't so relentlessly predictable, um, yeah, every time, every yeah. time. I mean, I could write her comments for her. Uh, well, you know. well, right now the banks are one of the struggles for their earnings going forward. Is there's just no demand for loans right now because everybody has so much money. Uh, yeah. So, if anything, they're they they want to give uh, people loans and it's, and they're not able to because no one wants to take them out. Yeah. Um. What else is cut? What other earnings are? Uh, what are we looking at to next week? What do we, do we have? Some so, big- uh, now going forward, we start to get into yeah. uh, a lot of the bigger tech names, um, which by all indications are, are still chugging along just as well. We didn't stop ordering from Amazon because we're allowed to go outside again. <laughs> yeah, next week's data calendar is pretty light. We've got like the preliminary purchasing managers indexes on the manufacturing side around the world. And one interesting bank. thing. So the ECB has a meeting. Yeah, um, and then, oh, but the China has a meeting on their loan prime rate. So interesting. The, the Chinese economy is slowing down. And more importantly, the, you know, social stability is becoming a little bit of a question. So uh, China has that fine, that fine line of trying to ease a little bit to, to, to help the economy without overheating it. Yeah. People's Bank of China has been, you know, saying we're still neutral They've really not touched the policy rate. They've played with the reserve requirement ratios a lot more. Probably stick steady. Well, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. And um, 
Uh, and I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not upset about not having too much data next week. I really, I am, right. I really am more interested in earnings right now. I'm just, I'm interested in how, how firms are doing and, um, uh, and on their individual outlooks also on their, on their earnings calls on, on how they, you know, what they're seeing in their, in their own sectors, I think is really interesting right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys have a fantastic weekend. Yep, that was a fun one. Yep. Uh, we'll catch you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 